Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Welcome back to another week. Thank you. It is good to be here. Yeah. As always. Let's um, pick up where we left off. Yeah. So in last week's episode, um, Nisha was kind enough to write in with... Uh, a few questions. We should have done like a cliffhanger last episode. Oh, yeah. We need to, we need to work on our storytelling. We need to work on that drama. Man. Um, but today we're going to pick up and do the other questions. The second part of Nisha's question. Yeah. So I think I we just take this one question at a time. There's two more. Let's just do one and then we'll move on to the next one. Does that sound good? Yeah. Maybe okay. we can do a cliffhanger after the first part of this. Maybe. We'll yeah. build some suspense. Or we'll just go right into it. Okay. Um, so here's where we left off. So it's, it's, uh, my husband and I have one child, 19 months and are expecting our second. Congratulations. Congratulations. Um, we currently own a house in the DC area, uh, but we'll outgrow it in coming years in the seller's market where buyers are often competing against many offers. We'd most likely want to buy a new house before selling our existing house. I'd like to learn about options people use to buy new houses before selling their existing house. I appreciate learning from you about the option to recast a mortgage. If we could get approved for such a loan, I suppose it's possible for us to put down less than 20% with other savings uh, we have and then recast after we, our house sells. Uh, I also have 650000 in a taxable account and could sell investments to cover the new down payment, but I prefer not to pay those capital gains taxes. Are there other options people use? All right. Well, yeah. Where do you want to start? Well, let's. There's, I think, two things that we want to cover. One is there's the financial side of it of what are the other options that you have, but then two, kind of the practical side of it of yes, there are other options, but you have to keep in mind that in this market, are those options going to be as competitive? Maybe, maybe not, depending on yeah. what we're looking at, because people are coming in with all cash offers or other no contingency offers or other things. So keep all that in mind. We're going to go through the other options, but we'll have to weigh that with the practicality of some of them. Yes. And I think they are practical. I shouldn't say it that way. Like, no, no. Yeah. They're um, impractical, well, it's just, but. it's a, it is a hot market right now all across the country. Um, it seems right. Um, I mean, I, and we've seen it amongst our clients as well. Um, you know, I recently had a client, move to the DC area. And I remember them being like, everyone's showing up with all cash offers. What do we do? And it's like, well, you just, you have to be patient and find your house. Um, and sometimes let time work for you. It's tougher when you have a 19 month old and you're expecting your second. <laughs> so I, I really do feel for you. Um, but let's, let's talk through, um, what's going on. Let's do it. So the, the first thing is let's look at this of you own a home, you have a mortgage, you want to be able to purchase that second home, but while you still have your first home. So there'd yep. be some overlap there. Mm -hmm. Practically speaking, what's a lender going to look at? Are they going to look at that and say that's completely fine? Or are there going to be some qualifications they look for? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it depends. Um, 
couple things. One is sometimes, so let's just go big picture. Let's imagine, I'm just going to imagine for a second that you wanted to um, own your home, keep owning your home and, and go buy another one right now. Because that makes it kind of the math make sense on this a little sim- uh, simpler. Then we can walk into the logistics of how you make this work. But like if, if James has one home now and he wants to go buy another one, if he and Ashlyn are ready to move, um, when the bank, when, when, when James and Ashlyn go to the bank to get a loan for the new house, the first thing the bank's going to do is they're going to obviously run credit. They're going to look at how much income do they have. And the next thing they're going to do is they're going to look at, well, what are your debts? Mm-hmm. How much debt do you carry currently? And what they care about is what they call the debt to income ratio. And there's a maximum number that they're going to be comfortable lending. Mm-hmm. And that typically is around, um, don't quote me if I'm wrong, mortgage brokers. You can always reach out and find out the exact numbers. But if I recall correctly, it's about 45% debt to income. So if you make $100,000 a year gross income, they're gonna, they aren't going to want to go above $45,000 all in on all of your debts. 45,000 of payments, not payments, balance of, payments, of debts. Pardon right. me. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. Mm-hmm. Right. So then break that down to a monthly payment. Let's just for a second, pretend it's whatever the, 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 whatever the income's required to get you at $48,000 or $4,000 a month max. Right. And then they're just going to look at, well, what do you pay now? Maybe you pay two. And they're, well, great. You could have $2,000 more. Well, now you just hit your maximum on the next purchase. Right. And then look at things like what other loans do you have? Are there student loans? Are there car loans? Are there whatever else it might be? Um, But that's the first thing to look at is will a lender lend to you based upon your total debt payments relative to the income that you have? Yeah. Now, some rules change all the time and with different banks. So I'm always careful about this. But my my recollection was with, with some of the lenders was if you already have your house listed, and you're getting qualified for the next house, they're happy to start underwriting you and tell you what the new amount is, but they probably need to see your house is in escrow or like has an offer mm-hmm. on it before they're going to extend you that loan. Mm-hmm. So now we're hitting this like bridge area that we're kind of talking about. Right. right, right, right. So that's the first thing is look at it from the lender's perspective. The second thing is, okay, let's say the lender says you're good to go. Now what? How do I actually come up with the cash for that down payment? Yeah, maybe you need that 20% down payment to actually make this work. So why don't we just go there? Let's go there. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Where does she get the money? Where does she get the money? Well, what do we know? We know that Nisha has $650,000 in a taxable account. Yep. We know that there's income coming in. I think from the next part of this question, we know there's about 50000 of cash available above and beyond the emergency fund. But let's assume that between all that, there's not enough... I'm I'm going to exclude the taxable account for a second because she says that she doesn't want to have to pay capital gains taxes if possible. And so I let's fully exclude that. Agree with her. Fully agree. If we can defer that, let's defer that. Um, she could potentially borrow against those taxable assets. Yes. Now I don't know where they're held. Yes. But depending on the custodian, the custodian probably has some arrangements where you can take a loan against that, which allows you to still maintain that full balance. Yep. And they're going to give you some parameters of saying, and whether it's the custodian itself or a partner bank, you can lend or you can borrow up to a certain percentage against the loan balance. Yep. Securities line of credit. Yeah, exactly. And so there there are some things to look at with that. But with interest rates today, the, the interest rates on that aren't bad at all. Right. It's usually an adjustable rate. So right. as interest rates go up, 
it, it would certainly go up with it. But that might be a place where you could kind of tap into the taxable account that you have without actually having to sell anything. And just to be clear, that that account stays exactly as is. You don't sell in the investments. You don't do anything with it. You're just using it as collateral for this loan that you're taking. Yeah. It's actually, it's very, it's, it's in a way similar to a home equity line of credit, right? The home equity line of credit that you'll get with a bank, the bank will say, hey, you have a million dollar house and you have a half million dollar mortgage. I'll happily lend you a hundred thousand or two hundred thousand dollars. And you just have to pay interest on the money as you're borrowing it. Right. Right. You're doing the same thing with the securities line of credit. You're just borrowing against a taxable investment account. Yeah, exactly. And then what you could look to do is let's say Nisha sells their current home. Well, when you have the proceeds from that, you could just simply look to pay off that line of credit. And what that allowed you to do is access equity from that essentially, but not actually have to sell any of the investments to do so. Right. And so long as that's less expensive than selling and bearing the taxes of capital gains from making those sales, that can make sense. Yeah, exactly. And, and that is the, another option. Maybe you don't want to take a loan against it or for whatever reason you can't do it. You you could always sell those investments. There's the trade-off of you're going to owe taxes on that. So I have no idea what the unrealized capital gains are in that account. If they're substantial, maybe you avoid it. If they're not substantial, if you can access part of it, maybe worth looking into, but that is another option if needed. Yeah. I, I will, I'm just going to say it out loud because I think it needs to be said. The cleanest way to do all of this is, and it's not the easy way because you have a 19 month old and you're expecting, but it is to sell your house. And once the moment it's under contract, go look for the next house mm-hmm. because then you don't have to worry about these funding gaps and how do I do this? And because even with the funding gap, if you can do that with the, the securities line of credit, for instance, you still have to be able to go through underwriting and have everything work mm-hmm. to get the new loan. Right. And, and it's then, not without risk. If the stock market takes a 50% nosedive, right. there might be margin calls or there might be, th- there's going to be some stuff that has to happen there. Yeah. So it is, it is not without risk. Yeah. Uh, we're not really diving deeply too. into this right now, but when you borrow against assets, you can usually do it in two ways on margin, which is usually used, you know, it's just a way that they'll basically just say, I'll give you X percent that you can take out at any time for any reason. And so long as the account doesn't go below this level, um, you're fine. If it goes below this level, we're going to have what's called a margin call. And we're going to tell you, you have to give us cash back right away. Mm-hmm. Um, securities on a credit usually works slightly differently, but, um, but yeah, similar, similar concept. Um, but I think the other thing is like, you kind of, we, uh, I want to also mention like it, maybe you did find some, you find a private lender or something like that, where you can go get a loan temporarily to go get the new house. And I'm not going to say there's not something exotic. You can't go find. Um, you, we also mentioned, we asked the question of recasting, right? So, um, what is recasting? So recasting is, let's say, uh, when I go get a mortgage, there's an amortization, which says, here's how much you owe the bank. This much is principal. This much is interest. If I make a significant payment on my mortgage, well, my payment doesn't actually change. Let's say I come in and dump a hundred thousand dollars in my mortgage. My payment is still the exact same as before. Right. It's just now more of my ongoing payments are going to principal and less are going to interest. You're gonna pay it down fast. I'm gonna pay it down faster. Yeah. Maybe I don't want to pay it down faster though. I'd rather have a break or I'd rather have the payment lowered. Well, that's what a recast does. A recast reamortizes it over the remaining period. Yeah. And so instead of paying it off faster, you pay less. Lowers your payment. Lowers your payment over the same longer period. Yeah. So the example here would be I'm just going to, you know, pretend numbers. Um we you own a 
$700,000 house now and you have equity in it and you're going to go buy a million dollar house and you got you have the money to go put down on the million dollar house but you really don't want to have a $750,000 mortgage I just made up numbers I said okay I don't even <laughs> 20 I'm just saying 25% loan to value I'm just making stuff up you'd rather take the buy that house now with the money down but then as soon as you have the other house sell, you want to take that principal and also pour it in yeah. to lower your monthly payment. That's really what recasting would be doing here. Right. You'd just be saying like, I want to take some of that, put it down so I have a lesser uh, cash flow need on a monthly basis for the house. Yeah. And that is common. Like so long as the bank that you're working with offers recasts, it usually costs like 200 bucks or 250 to recast a mortgage, basically for them to run a calculation for you. So that is a potential option. Yeah. And then we, I don't think we've talked about it, but you could do maybe a cash out refi of your existing home. And does that allow you to come out of pocket with more cash down that you could put on the next home? Um, just looking at options for down Yeah, payment. I love that option. The thing is, it, my assumption, I'm only, and I'm making an assumption, my assumption is it doesn't help get into the next house because you still have to have a loan on the next house. You're saying if she doesn't have the loan to value ratio or right. the uh, the, the right. debt to income ratio. Yeah. So like you're in this, it's a tough, it's a tough spot. Um, yeah. It depends on if the down payment is the issue or if the debt to income ratio is the issue or if it's something else altogether. Yep. Mm-hmm. But so it's basically know your debt to income, see what your options are for financing. You can't always recast. You could potentially utilize the funds um, in the taxable account, depending on where they're held. You could obviously even move. So if, if you're um, where they are doesn't offer a security line of credit. You could potentially move it to a custodian that does. Yep. There's lots of options there for you. Right. Hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. Now let's go to part two of this question. Yeah. Uh, part two says, my husband and I both have federal government jobs where we'll receive pensions and we both max out our thrift savings plan, which is the government equivalent of a 401k. Mm-hmm. My mother generously funds a backdoor Roth IRA contribution for me and we contribute for a backdoor Roth IRA for my husband, though not yet maxing that out. We also save $4,000 per year to my 19-month-old son's 529 account, and my mom also contributes that same amount to another 529 for my son. We have around $100,000 in savings, with about $50,000 representing our emergency fund and the rest earmarked for other savings goals. With the high D.C. area daycare costs and another child on the way and another 529 account to fund, we won't be able to save much more for a few years. But once daycare costs are done, I'm curious about setting up a UGMA or UTMA or an UGMA or an UTMA for my children. My parents set that up for me, and it's the reason I have a decent amount in a taxable account. That account is also the reason that my husband and I could buy a house as we sold investments from it for the down payment. I'd like to similarly support my children, but from working with an estate attorney to set up our trust, I know the downside to such accounts is that you lose control once the children reach the age of majority, and even in a few years, my children will be too young to really know how responsibly they could be with our money in the future. Hmm. I welcome any thoughts you have about UGMAs or UTMAs. Yeah, a lot to unpack there. Um, what do you want to start with? Um, I want to start with, let's guess how responsible Nisha's son will be in a few years. At 19 See, months. And yeah. he's 19 months old. And no, I'm just kidding. Um, let's start with looking at the big picture. Yeah, let's look at the big picture. So we're talking about college or we're talking about not just college funding, but outside of college funding uh-huh. in a UTMA or UGMA account. Uh-huh. I'd want to know what, what else are you saving or how much are you saving to retirement? How much are you saving for other goals? Totally. I, well, first, I just want to commend them on the, all the things they're already doing, right? Like- you already have pensions. You're already maxing your thrift savings plans. You're doing back to a Roth convert contributions. 
you're saving to a 529 as well as your mom is saving to a different 529 for your son, which we can talk about. You have a solid savings account. You have extra funds for emergency funds. You're doing so many things right. So first, just congrats. Yep. But I go exactly where you are. Like, what do you, what's a great life look like to you? What are you doing this for? Um, and it sounds like it's a few things. It sounds like making sure they have a secure retirement, making sure they're living a good life now, making sure they're funding college, and but also helping their little one or little ones, pardon me, in the future, um, have a good start in life. Yep. Yep. Now, there might be other things there. We just don't know. Yeah. So making sure that's in balance because we don't want to be doing, for example, too much to retirement at the expense of everything else or too much to college at the expense of being able to help children with a down payment on a home or too much to anything if it's going to cause you to not be able to do enough of other things. Um, so start there. Yeah. Of, is everything in balance? Is everything aligned with what you want your money to be able to do for you? From there, um, well, let's maybe talk about what a UGMA and a UTMA even is. Sure. So UTMA stands for Uniform Transfers to Minors Account. So what it is, is you fund the account. You can control the assets, use the parent or the custodian there. You get to dictate how the investments are managed. And then at the age of majority, and every state is different, it's either 18 or 21, those assets transfer to the child and it Mm -hmm. becomes their account. Mm Mm-hmm. There's some benefits because you can gradually fund that along the way and retain control over it. There's also some tax benefits of any earnings or dividends or growth earned as tax at the kid's tax rate as opposed to the parent's tax rate up to a certain limit. But there's some downsides. And one of the downsides is at age 18, whether your kid is the most responsible kid in the world or the least responsible kid in the world, they're getting those assets, whether you want them to or not. Right. So how do you think about that? What's what are some options? Yeah. Um, well, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you exactly how I, how I personally. What would think you of it. do? How I? Well, okay. There's there's a lot of ways to slice this. I, I think there's kind of a spectrum, right? There's um, you know, in the worst case scenario, the one I think we all think about, it's that I start funding an UGMA or a UTMA now, and at the age of eighteen, my kid's a blithering moron mm-hmm. which quite honestly i was pretty close to that <laughs> when it comes to like financial choices and i find out about this money and i just go blow it mm-hmm. right now that of course can't happen because it's theirs um if the with good parenting and maybe good choices maybe they do make better choices um i think if, if you're even worried about that though i think there's lots of other options um like for instance you know, we're, they're already saving to 529 accounts, obviously, for for college. And then they're kind of saying, hey, if we have extra on top of that, what do we do? Yeah. Um, just it's anecdotal. But like for, for our own kids, we've done something similar. We saved enough for 529 accounts where we feel we're adequately covered. Anything above and beyond that, rather than do um, UPMAs or UGMAs now, we're just putting, we have a separate uh, separate accounts that are under our family trust that we're just investing and growing for the boys knowing that we're eventually going to be gifting it to them in the future. Mm-hmm. We can use the um, estate exemptions for gifting. We could also use our own, you know, the, the lifetime max amount for mm-hmm. gifting in the future. But that gives us ultimate control to choose when we want to give money and why. Right. And uh, to me, I like that. UTMAs can, be, the benefits can be overblown sometimes. Like, let's say I just want to start, 
let's say I have a child and I just start buying, I set up a separate investment account, kind of like mm-hmm. very much like what you've done. It's not a UTMA, it's not a trust, it's nothing fancy. It's just an investment account. Yeah. Well, let's just say, and I'm not. This is not a recommendation to do this, of course, but I just buy Google stock. Well, one of the benefits of the UTMA account, the UTMA, is I'm not having to pay tax as that account grows, as dividends are realized or capital gains are realized. Well, I just stick all that in Google stock, just use an example, and don't don't touch it for 18 years. There's no dividends. There's no growth until I sell it. So I've I've effectively grown that Mm tax-free. And if when my child is 18, he or she is responsible, well, then I can just gift 15,000 of it at a time to them and not pay any taxes either. Mm-hmm. They would pay taxes when they sell it, but I wouldn't. Um, so you can almost accomplish a similar thing outside of it if mm-hmm. you just invest the right way and defer capital gains and do things like that. And then the account is fully yours. If you want to help use it for college savings, use it for college. If you want to use it for your kid to buy a home, help them buy a home. Yeah. But you're not under any obligation to turn it over to them at any age or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it totally makes sense. I mean, obviously, it's what I'm doing. So. Yeah, I think it makes a lot. The other option is if you say, no, I want to put a lot more in and I want that to be out of my estate so that I can just right. get it into my kid's estate so I don't have to worry about it or any right. gifting issues. You could set up an actual trust for this. Now, it's going to cost more money, yeah. but you could control at what age does your child have access to this? Are there any instances where your kid could access it early, whether for college or to buy a home or start a business Mm -hmm. or anything like that? You could have some other provisions in there. Um, So you can have more control, but there is more cost to it. And it's just another layer of complexity sometimes to have to deal with. Yep. Agreed. I'd keep it simple. I would just think, do you want to have control or not? Um, And then what the other, well, the other, actually the other thing to be mindful of if you start funding UGMAs and UTMAs now, the moment they turn 18, it ties into college planning because now your child has an asset. And that asset is um, for FAFSA and for like financial aid and, and whatnot. Um, it, it actually is, is <laughs> it, it hurts you guys as a family to have that asset mm-hmm. relative to for college planning versus you holding that asset. Right. So that's another component to think about. Right. And I'm, it is something to think about. I'm looking at how much they're saving, plus the moms matching it, plus they, they might have college fully funded yeah. based upon that. So a whole oh, bunch of, but. It's actually another good thing to bring up because we actually, um, a lot of people don't, maybe not, don't realize this, but when you do college funding and you have, maybe grandparents have their 529 and in this instance, mom and dad have theirs. When it comes time to pay for college, we want to use mom and dad's funds first and then um, the grandparents' funds. And why is that? And the reason we do that is because if mom and dad use the funds, it, that counts as their funds um, as far as the financial aid forms are concerned. But the moment we use anyone else's funds, that's considered the child's income in the next year. So it, it changes the calculations on that. So yes, it impacts aid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, the only thing I would add is they're doing awesome with their savings. And they mentioned they have the 50 for emergency and the rest earmarked for savings goals. And it's, it's, it's a good point time to, to say, um, decide if you want to have one savings account for a lot of things and you're really good about being mindful about what those things are, um, or have more than one thing, have more than one to kind of gamify it. And what I mean by that is I'll see people who will come in and they'll go, we save for going on trips, but they don't go on trips, right? And mm-hmm. then you go look at how they save and they have all their money in one big account. Yeah. And then they think it's all one big emergency fund, but it's really like, no, no, you have your emergency fund. 
you're supposed to use the rest of that to go on that trip you've been meaning to take because the experience matters to you. Right. So just a, a thing to note here. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. It's uh, connect it to something real as opposed to just lumping it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? No, just keep it up and please keep sending in the questions. Thank you for this, this question. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. I hope you guys find it to be helpful. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.